from the fabulous WSUM Madison Studios, it's Do It Live, hosted by the Do It Geeks. Today's topic is Eris, a user-friendly open-source platform for creating location-based educational games and all of the cool things that we're doing with it right here on UW-Madison campus. Joining us from the Eris team, David Gagnon. Along with our regular geeks, Ty Christian, Teresa Saldana, and Adam Wiesenfarr. And now, broadcasting live and local on 91.7 FM and streaming worldwide on WSUM.org, please help me welcome my co-host, Ty Christian. Hello, 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 hello. It's Do It Live, the most connected radio show on the planet. And we are back for another week of talking technology. And today we got a little bit of a special guest. Kind of a special guest. More like a regular guest. But, uh, (laughs) you know, I mean, you know the man, the myth, the legend. Mr. Adam Wiesenfarth. Hey, Ty. Hey, Teresa. How's it going? He's back. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> Good to be back. And so, uh, so yeah, Adam Adam has been on hiatus for a little while. Yeah. Uh, because, um, well, I guess, what what's the news here, Adam? Uh, I, I'm now apparently a father. What? <laughs> that's impossible. I know. It's kind of crazy. It's that's, ca- but, uh, that's insane. You're insane. Yay. That's, that's what the kids say. But, yes, oh my my, uh, my wife and I had a lovely daughter named Emma on October 5th. At twelve fourteen p.m. and she's doing well, and Rob and my wife is doing well, and she's at home, yeah, hopefully taking care of the child. Otherwise, she's out doing retail therapy at the mall. So. <laughs> One of those two. That's awesome. <laughs> so yeah, cool. Get, well, get, c- get congratulations look. and congratulations to everyone from Aww. Radio Land. Everybody's yeah. like, yeah. Another geek has been brought into the world. Yes, Hooray. indeed. Yep. Another <laughs> another part of the extended WSUM family right here. So. Yeah. So how are you guys faring otherwise? We're doing all right. Yeah? You yeah. know. New, new stuff in the tech world, I'm sure. Well, you know. Lots of new... Dude, I got... I finally got it. I finally got it! That's I finally got right. it! I finally got my iPhone! Oh, my God! I'm so excited. Dude, I love my iPhone. Yeah. I love it. It's, it's everything I, you were he hoping got, for? It's everything if I you, wanted it to be. It was amazing. If you I, didn't if you didn't know, Ty got his iPhone. I did. Yeah, he, he actually did. got, got his new iPhone. iPhone. It's amazing. It's it's awesome. <laughs> it's, uh, it's it's the 4S. It's the 4S. It's got Siri. It's got Actually, I'm going to ask her uh, right at, right right here live. Let's Siri's let's ask Siri a question. Here we go. Okay. Yeah. Siri, what is the best live radio show on WSUM? Uh, Here, it's actually doing it. She's thinking about she's it? She's thinking about it. It's at, Yeah, she wants uh, to say, hey, what, how about how about we do a web search for it? No, nah, that's okay. I already know what the she? best live show on WSUM is. That's right. <laughs> Let's do it live. 
Oh, I was hoping she'd give some kind of cute answer. You can ask her how to hide a body. Oh, really? No, no, seriously, you can. You can actually ask her how to hide a body. And she'll be like, what kind of place were you looking for? Swamps? Marshes? Uh, She's like, dumps? Metal refineries? Dig a a shallow grave. (laughs) No, there's a lot of like funny things you can ask her, and she has funny answers. So it's pretty cool. Well, that is cool. For the folks at home that have not used Siri, uh, Apple has had quite the sense of humor with the kinds of answers that Siri will give to questions that you wouldn't normally ask a smartphone, but they're very cute. Yeah. I love it. I I absolutely love it. And I've actually already used it. I bought one of those, um, oh, what do they call it? The things where you you put the iPhone in your, um, docking station, station, but, but it's for the car. So you, so it's like oh. up and so you know it's kind of like where a GPS would be. It's just like one of those brackets. Yeah, it's a bracket, it, but it, it hooks onto my um the air the, vent. The air vents. Yes, it hooks oh, onto my air yeah, vents. Yeah. So now I feel like I really feel like you know 21st century. Like you know oh, yeah. people were driving around and somebody sends me a text and I'll be like Siri, read my texts for me. Siri, reply you, to my text please. You have a new personal assistant. I do. Car. I do. It's amazing. Uh, and now, and, and now, you know, I'm sure my mom and grandma are, are listening. Now, mom, grandma, you won't have to worry. I'm not texting while driving, you know. And now that I did that in the first place, because that's dumb. But you're just listening to texts I'm while li- you're driving. Well, that's great. You know, it's, she she reads it to me, and it's great. You know, yeah. it's, it's, I love it. I absolutely. And the camera. Oh my God, the camera. Yeah. Uh, well, the camera. When I uh, when Schrader was on a couple weeks ago. He was talking about how it's an 8-megapixel camera. It's the same as what he's got in his regular camera. And I looked at my digital camera that I have at home, and it's also an 8-megapixel camera. So it's just kind of crazy that they've crammed this in. Now, uh, granted, because you have that small of a lens, it's not going to let in as much light. I was just going to say that. The lens makes a huge difference. So I know... With a lot of the phones, they're saying, yes, it's HD, yes, you know, 8, eight megapixel, but the lens matters. Yeah. The smaller the it, lens... And it's it like, does. what, a tenth of the size of your typical digital camera lens, of, like And that's that. of your point and shoot. We're not yeah. talking about full-bodied cameras with interchangeable lenses. The so. old 35 millimeters, such. Oh, yeah. yeah. But, you know, I mean, honestly, for, for, for what it is... Um, and I've, I've taken it outside. I've taken it. I've actually taken it uh, out doing like parkour and stuff and, and, and filming things. Oh, yeah. We've seen those videos. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Check out my Facebook. Anyway, but um, it, it looks, I mean, it looks really good. It's it's much, much, much better than my old like full featured camera. Now, granted, it's not as great as like a Canon 7D would be, you know, shooting in like full 1080p. But Oh, those things are so cool. But it's it's really, I mean, honestly, it's really, really, really nice. I like it a lot. So... I have nothing but good things to say about my new iPhone. I, 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 I'm having trouble call, not calling it an iPod because I've had an iPod for so long and it just oh. looks the exact same, except now it's got a little speaker on it. And you've got that fat otter box on it. I do. I, I, and by fat, I'm hoping you're saying P-H-A-T. Oh. Yeah. Oh, come on. That was so oh, late yes. 90s. What are you doing? Yeah, yeah. No, I bought it like for this because I wanted to take it around and I wanted to test it out doing... Uh, parkour and and that kind of stuff and you know that's kind of high impact so if mm-hmm. you were to like fall on your phone or something or the phone drops while you're recording you need some some protection so this thing has like a three part case that goes to it yep um, they're which, pretty much indestructible the otter boxes yep. are and just in case um, I bought a, a square trade square trade warranty on this guy it was uh, like nine uh, around ninety bucks I think mm-hmm. and uh, 
And and so it covers everything. You can drop it in water. You can throw it off a cliff. You can wow. have your little sister use it as a skateboard ramp. You know, anything. For how long? Two years. Huh? So it's not cool. bad. It's not bad. And for you iPhone users at home, maybe if you didn't hear about this, because I just saw a little blip about it, I think, on Mac Rumors, that Apple now has Apple Care Plus. It's only for the iPhone. Apple Care Plus, hmm. which covers accidental damage to your phone. Whoa. Yay. I know. We never thought we'd see the day, right? Accidental damage being covered by Apple. It's pretty amazing. It That's, is pretty amazing. That, we've now, been waiting for that for a long, apparently, long time. Apparently, I don't know if it's if it's on sale. I haven't checked on their website yet, but it is on sale. We, okay, we got confirmation from Sandy. It is on sale. Uh, so if you have an iPhone and it's still... It's what? Two Oh, two. only covers two events, like two, ah, two things. Two catastrophes <laughs> that happen to your phone. As opposed to going and pleading at the Apple store in which they cover one event and they're like, mm-hmm. eh, maybe we'll give you a new phone. But you have to get Apple Care Plus. I think now, maybe with the iPhone 4S, they simply don't have Apple Care. You have to get Apple Care Plus. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. So that yeah. they don't do these one-offs anymore. Well, so how many, you know, how many things that they accept are, you know, oh, I dropped my iPhone in the river or, you know, the screen broke. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's it's covered in glass now, for God's sake. I mean, yeah. glass on both the front and the back. It's just an accident waiting to happen. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's like, it's like, go to Steve Jobs. What do we do? Cover it in glass. Well, people drop their phones. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually seen this picture where it's uh, it's a Steve Jobs and he has the iPhone. And obviously it's been Photoshopped, but he says that the way that you should hold your iPhone is to make it levitate, you know, in thin air. It's <laughs> to make it float. I love it. And so he's he's got his hands up, and the phone's just floating next Use to his hand. The full Steve. So now, since so, we've talked about all these different products, we should probably right off the bat just disclaim everything we've just said. Absolutely, Adam. Can you disclaim everything for us? I I think I can. Awesome. All right. So the three disclaimers are: the opinions expressed on this program do not reflect the views of WSUM, the University of Wisconsin Madison, or its Board of Regents. Number two, products and services provided by the Division of Information Technology, a.k.a. DOIT, and other university departments, as well as drawings and giveaways, may only be available to students, faculty, and staff, or those currently affiliated with UW-Madison. And our third and final disclaimer, participants of this broadcast may offer opinions or recommendations. However, they do not endorse, nor has any consideration been provided on behalf of the products or services discussed. Yay! Good job, Adam. Hey, so, thanks. It's like, it's like you wrote it. It's like, you know, it's yeah. like you put it together. What? what? Yeah, I know. So let's, you know, we should we should just jump straight to our Emmy Award winning, Tony Award winning anchor, Teresa Saldana, with the news. It's Teresa Saldana with the news. <laughs> it gets more dramatic and drawn out every time. I'm waiting for this introduction to get two minutes long. Pretty soon it'll have an explosion in it. Well, let's see. You realize like, that. We only have this much music. So. Oh. <laughs> Ty'll just keep hitting the button again and again. I, I will. To make we'll, it play. we'll raise uh, whatever the guy is, uh, Dan or Don, who used to use those uh, those dramatic introductions for movie. Oh, um, you're thinking day. of uh, oh, jeez, what's yeah, his you, name? You know, I know, I know. It's yeah, um, yeah. anyway. But anyway, let's get to the news. Yeah. Anyway, so speaking of Steve Jobs, they had the private celebration on Apple's campus for his passing. Yeah, and they closed the Apple stores too, didn't they? Oh, you didn't see that. No, really? I didn't see yeah, that. Yeah, they, they actually closed down Apple stores for part of the day wow. during this memorial service. That's like so lowering that, the flag halfway. Yeah, but so that Apple employees could go and 
participate via the magic of the internet and, and watch the webinar. Ah, I see. So they were all participating from all around the world, I guess. Yeah, yeah that's my um, understanding. So they had this media event, and it was pretty star-packed. <coughs> Nora Jones was there. Coldplay was there. It's pretty ridiculous. So apparently it was big celebration. They had a bunch of uh, speeches. Tim Cook gave one of them. Um, but pretty pretty impressive. And they also launched a, a webpage where, I don't know if... Um, if you guys saw that, but after Steve passed, they had a they had a page up just with a short blurb, you know, saying that he'll be missed. Um, and you can send an email to I think it was remembering Steve at Apple dot com. And so you just you know email and you, know, you don't get any kind of auto response or anything like that. But now they have a web page up where you can just go there and it loads messages that people oh. have sent. So I suppose they didn't make it clear at the time that whatever message you wrote to Steve is going to be posted for the whole internet to see? Yeah, I've seen a few funny ones. Uh, yeah. So, of course, I assume, though, that if they're getting posted, they've, in typical Apple fashion, have been approved. They went through, like, the App Store approval? No. <laughs> no, they haven't. I can guarantee you that they haven't. How do you At least guarantee some of them. that? This is Apple we're talking about. Because the the, let's just say that the the remembering Steve that I saw, I cannot say on the air. Oh, <laughs> I would violate FCC rules many, many times <laughs> saying this on the air. Oh, that's really funny. Well, you know, the, this has been a really big deal because mm -hmm. Jobs really changed the face of computing, at mm -hmm. least home and personal computing, irrevocably. Right. Uh, you know, 25 years ago with the Macintosh mm -hmm. and, and the news networks have been going crazy. The internet's been going crazy. Mm -hmm. It's, it's been a really big deal and, and it's going to be some very interesting shoes to fill to see what's going to happen mm -hmm. with Apple and what kind of new innovations are going to be coming out. Right. Because the man in charge is not in charge anymore. Well, yep. I, I don't know if I mentioned this maybe on the prior show, but um, I guess there's a there's an estimate that Apple has about four years worth of products down the line that have the Steve. I don't know if it's a seal of approval, but he was involved in those projects. The Steve thumbs up. Yeah, the Steve thumbs up. He's got that big he stamp. Okay. That he just and goes, he's absolutely Pshink. involved in the next iPhone revision. Oh, sure. Apparently, he was working on that till the day before he died. Wow. Talk about dedication. So what else we got, Tracy? So what else have we got? Oh, I saw this really cool thing. It's from a company called Changers, and they're launching a solar-powered gadget charging system, which is to power up your USB devices, so that's like iPhones, iPods, Android phones, and Kindles. And it's solar, okay, so it's a solar panel uh, that will upload the amount of of uh, energy that you're you're um you know Using? pulling to your to your device to charge it and it's um it has like a social network component so you can share with your friends how much energy you're saving uh -huh. by using this little panel <laughs> and then apparently you get so many credits for however many watts you you generate off of this panel and then you can use them they only have one company so far but you can use them for like discounts at stores see i i find one major problem with this which is geeks never go in the sun <laughs> oh i mean it's true yeah we're in, in our basement. we're in our basements we're like the light no you know i mean yeah i 
I, there's no windows in my office. How am there's I no windows my, in my office. How am I going to see? Adam, see? do you have a window yet? Yeah. <gasps> oh, oh my God. He, he's rejected from the I did notice kingdom. your complexion looked a little bit, you know, a little bit well, we gotta, more tan. And we come up here to this fabulous studio and there are giant windows That's in true. here, too. That's true. So. We could probably do something in here, but all, you know, all other... 38 hours of our yeah. week. Is... Did you know if Ty goes out in the sun, he glitters? <laughs> I do. <laughs> I do. That was actually, that was a good one. I'll give you oh, that. Oh, man. That was, that, was a, that was a... So if you want to see something entertaining, folks, if you can't find a vampire, drag a geek out into the sun. <laughs> You'll see what happens. Hey, oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think, what do you guys think about that? Would you buy the solar panel well, for aren't your you, little are, I devices? I mean, aren't you burning energy in order to, like, put up how much energy you're saving? Isn't that kind of antithetical to the whole thing? Yeah, but you get to brag to everybody else. Uh, yeah. what, what is it to be green if you don't get to rub it in other people's faces? How smug you are. Oh, the South Park <laughs> reference. I love it. Oh, it's true. The, the, what, did, what was it that they smug. did? It was the smug. smug. The cloud, the the cloud, cloud of, smug. of smug that followed Priuses, right? Oh, That's what it was. I've been keeping up on my South Park. I'm no, afraid. it's I don't know. That came out a couple of years ago. But anyway. I got a couple, you know, now that I've got this awesome phone, I got a couple new apps that I found that are just the coolest thing. And I could just, I, I, I want to I talk about an app, just at least one. Okay. Yes, you know? let's talk okay. about an app. Uh, there's an app called Square that allows you for free to take credit card payments through your phone. Yeah, and uh, I and saw their, their little thingy. Yeah, they send you a reader for free, like a card reader. Free. For free. For free. free. It plugs in your headphone jack and it's free. The only amount of, basically what they do is they take 2.75% off of every um, transaction that goes through. So if you're spending 10 bucks, you get charged 20, you know, 27.5%, 28 cents, you know, whatever. But it's great. It's awesome. I love it. So is that supposed to be for vendors, though? You could, yeah. I mean, or, hey, you know, I mean, do, do you carry cash around? I barely carry cash around nowadays. It's like, hey, Steve, let's buy a hoagie. Oh, dude, I don't have any cash to give you. You know, what are we going to do? Are we each going to put it on our cards? No, that sucks. Well, how about I just take your card and swipe it through my iPhone, and there I go, 10 yeah. bucks. It's kind of PayPal-esque in, in that way yeah. that you can just sort of, mm-hmm. it, it, you don't have to have a merchant account like you would for a business, but yeah. it's, it sort of funnels it to your bank account in some interesting way. But I could way. see that being neat for like the little carts out on State Street. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. But Ty, if you buy me a hoagie, I'm not going to swipe my credit card through your phone and then have a quarter, an extra quarter <laughs> charge. No, no, I'm not doing that. Well, You're no, just going to waste Well, then, I, I, won't, give, then I won't buy the you a hoagie. Hit. He takes the quarter Yeah, hit? he takes the hit. Whoever's, whoever oh. is getting the transaction. Yeah. You don't, it's not like an ATM. Unless I upcharge you a quarter, which well, I might. You yeah. might. Because I don't like you. Just <gasps> throwing that out there. Because <gasps> oh, <laughs> you won't give me a quarter. You won't buy me a hoagie. <laughs> no, I like you. It's fine. Um... <laughs> Another one that I did, uh, I found out recently because of Eris, actually, because of what we're talking about today, uh, is is Photosynth, which is super cool. It's free. Okay. Um, you make panoram- panoramic pictures um, really super easy on your phone just by holding up the phone and like turning around and you know bringing it up and down. It'll stitch it together. It's pretty cool. That is really cool. And then the last one that is just just silly, just plain silly, is one called Leaf Snap. L e a f s n a p leaf snap. Oh snap! You take leaf. a picture of a leaf. It'll tell you what plant it's from. <laughs> really? Yeah, really. Yeah. Oh, I got some forestry people who would be interested in that. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. What if What if you take a picture of a leaf and it says 
this tree hasn't been identified yet. You get to name it. Crowdsourcing. <laughs> yeah, we'll just cool? we'll just send a bunch of people into the Amazon rainforest with iPhones and snap a bunch of things. It's like, oh yes, perfect. Ah, uh, yeah, I should call this one the Jobicus Mantis. I love it because, of course, you get great reception, and I suddenly have a British accent for some reason. National Geographic, Doctor Livingston. Yes, did you bring your iPhone 4S for our biological experiments today? Sometimes it's just fun to watch you guys go. It is. You know, I don't do funny voices, but you do. You should. They're fun. <laughs> well, we got a lot of, of stuff to talk about today. We got a lot of uh, stuff dealing with Eris going. Uh, Eris is a brand new mobile uh, platform gaming device. But before we do, we got to, of course, tell you about our website, doit.wistedu forward slash radio. Go there, visit us, email us, radio at doit.wistedu. You can check out our podcasts, uh, which will be up very shortly. Uh, back up and running. We had a little bit of issues there, but we're we are all set to go now. And uh, hooray. hooray! And yeah, and and we're gonna send our intrepid reporter, uh, Ty Christian, out to do some some reporting. Who's that guy? On, I don't know. He's he's we picked him up. He's a he's a new guy. Oh. He had a, he had a sign. Will an intrepid report for five dollars on the street? Oh. You know, near the highway. Yeah, you know, it's good good help. So anyway. <laughs> Uh, we're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back with uh, our Intrepid Reporter and more from Do It Live.
Manatees are wonderful. Hi, I'm Alec Baldwin for Save the Manatee Club. Manatees are wonderful. Their gentle, playful ways are fascinating to watch. Yet these harmless marine mammals face growing threats to their survival. Many manatees are injured or killed from boat strikes or other human activities, and their habitat is being lost. Manatees are wonderful. Manatees need your help. Please call Save the Manatee Club at 1-800-432-JOIN or visit www.savethemanatee.org. Manatees, manatee, manatee, wonderful. And we're back with more Do It Live on 91.7 FM, Madison, Wisconsin. Streaming online at WSUM.org. Check out our website, doit.wist.edu forward slash radio. Email us, radio at doit.wist.edu. Today we're talking about Eris. Eris is a, a platform for creating mobile educational games. And uh, just recently, just the other day, uh, the Eris team had a, a design jam, a game jam, where a bunch of people came in and a bunch of people created these games and talked about Eris and uh, talked to the people who created it. And so we, set, uh, we sent our intrepid reporter, uh, Ty Christian, out to cover the events. Uh, isn't that right, Ty? Well, that's right, Ty. I'm here at uh, the Wisconsin Institute for Discovery, and we are at the Game Jam uh, here for Eris, which is an open source tool for creating mobile locative games um and uh, we just had a uh, presentation by david gagnon about game design in general and about uh how to make a compelling and interesting game so we're going to talk with david here in a bit uh we're also going to go around and talk to some of the people that are actually here designing their own games uh, for eris eris is a uh, free open source platform and it is uh, available for download through the itunes store uh, and pretty much, apparently, anyone can make uh, a game. You don't need any programming experience or anything like that. So let's go ahead and uh, head around and talk to some of the people making the games here and also talk to uh, David Gagnon. So we're here uh, with uh, with David Gagnon and... Uh, am I pronoun- I'm pronouncing it right, right? David Gagnon uh, here uh, at the uh, Eris Game Convention. David, can you tell us a little bit about what Eris is and what's it all about? Okay, so Eris is um, it's a platform for making mobile games on the iPhone specifically. Uh, it, it really was inspired out of research from the Games Learning and Society group and some stuff we did with Engage to create a tool so that kind of anyone without programming experience kids, teachers, storytellers, artists, would be able to create game-like, tour-like interactive stories um, that would play out on their iPhone that would be location-centric. So when you go to different spots, it knows where you're going, and we're creating kind of a virtual world overlaid with the physical world. That's really neat. Do you have any examples of uh, games or prototypes that you've made that you can tell us about uh, to kind of give the listeners a little bit more of an uh, idea of what it's like? Yeah, normally I get slides, so being on the radio is a little different than this. Um, you know, our first kind of inspiration was what we call a situated documentary. So we took a documentary of an event that took place in Madison, and then we put it back in the places in which the events occurred. So in the late 1960s, there was an event on campus called Dow Day, and there was a PBS special about it, and some other documentaries that have been made. And this was a, a number of students that were um, kind of having a, a peaceful demonstration against uh, 
Dow Chemical Corporation, which during the Vietnam War was creating napalm, and they were recruiting UW students. So these other students got really frustrated with that. And one thing led to another, and protests became a little too heated, and they occupied different buildings. The police were called in, and a number of people were hurt. So in Dow Day, we, we have actually done research around that, um, that topic, and we've put the different characters back in the places in which they actually were during that time. So you, you end up taking on the role of someone who's researching this for a newspaper, and you meet protesters, and you meet the Dow recruiter, and you meet the provost, and you meet some of the, um, kind of all the different representatives of these different groups. You interview them um, and kind of get to know what the story is, is while it's happening around you. So you're literally running around Bascom Hill trying to keep up with the story. And then every once in a while, you're, you're standing in spots where we have original video footage and things like that. So we overlay the look down Bascom Hill with the protesters marching up towards you or what it looked like when you're standing um, in front of some of the other buildings and there's swarms of people around. So it's this overlay of a story in a, in a, in a new setting. And that was all done by Jim Matthews uh, while he was a grad student. He designed that game. That's really cool. I've seen some uh, footage now, you know, talking about the overlays and that kind of thing. I've seen some footage of uh, uh, some new apps and, you know, for the iPhone 4S and that kind of stuff where you can actually, like, move the camera back and forth and the video kind of moves with you. Is it, now, the stuff that you're doing, is it more of like a, a still shot? You have to be in one specific place or can you actually move the camera around and the video moves with you kind of thing? So I, so far what I've seen is that most of that stuff's pretty gimmicky. Um, it doesn't look as good in real life as it does on the YouTube or the demo video. Uh, in general, I find it just to be a little hokey. So instead, what we're really doing is leveraging the imagination as the primary kind of engine for graphics. Now, we do do those things where we use the gyroscope to superimpose imagery, um, but we do it in a lot more controlled way so that we can do it well when we do it. Um, so instead of really pushing towards some of that, what we call strong augmented reality, we're pushing more towards an imagination-based augmented reality, but still putting these characters back into the back into real places, putting items and, and information and, and activity back into a physical location. I see. So tell us about um, these uh, these meetings today and what this game jam is all about uh, today, here and now. So we've done a, a series of these the whole time Eris has been kind of going on as a project. It started with just a, a core group of, of um, kind of researchers and storytellers and artists that were trying to challenge ourselves to make things fast. The, the research strategy is that you, know, you really can't talk about it unless you've made it. So instead of theorizing around these things, we wanted to build examples of these things and learn by building. And the design jams or the game jams that we do um, are really our way to extend that out to a larger audience. So the, the first one was about six months ago, and we've got some colleagues in different universities around the country and some collaborators all over. And instead of flying everybody out here like we've done in the past, we said, hey, why don't you run remote locations and gather your students, and we'll link up over Adobe Connect, and we'll kind of just have this fun time all at the same time. And it ended up being this raging success. We ended up building 126 different games in 50 hours in uh, four countries and 14 locations. It ended up just being this big, fun thing. And we, we really noticed that there was something about having professors and theorists and teachers and kids, and I mean kids, like down to you know sixth, fifth and sixth grade, all working on projects together that just seemed to be a really lively educational environment. Um, so we're doing it again. We're doing a small one right now and testing a new model. And then I'd say another six months out, we're going to do another hoopla grand uh, global one and you know try to, try to get lots and lots of locations out there. 
So is the software out and available for uh, download or use right now by different people, or, or do you have like a release date where you think you already say this is going to be like final version one? So we're we're in kind of permanent beta, and I, I'm fine with that. Uh, it's it is available right now in the App Store. It, you can uh, search for Aris. It's A R I S, or go to ArisGames.org. Um, either one of those places will get you going. But we already have about fourteen hundred games made in Aris by about a little over eleven hundred people. I checked the stats yesterday. So yeah, there's a lot of people using it, and it it's got some ups and downs. It's a work in progress, but it's good enough um, that it's enabling entirely new forms of mobile learning that. Um, is really inspiring people. So yeah, there's a live active community around it now. Um, and if you go to uh, either one of those spots, you can get linked into that community and get support by that community. And we've got documentation and all that available. That's, that's a pretty impressive number, 1,400 games. How, how long has Aeris been out? Um, we've had a kind of... I guess, formal public available version for about two years now. Um, really, this last year is when we started doing any sort of support of that community. We've been playing with ours for five, six years now. Um, and it really was just a tiny little prototype project that came out of a... Uh, it was a class project for myself and Chris Blakesley when we got started. And then Engage came along, gave it a little bit of seed money. And um, from there on, it's kind of exploded. So I definitely just start by downloading the app and walk around Madison. There's probably a dozen or so games that you can play. And then we've produced, um, I don't know, maybe a half a dozen or a dozen more in the last few days. Big hot spots are we've got a campus tour that's great that starts at um, Memorial Union. The Dow Day game also start, starts at Memorial Union. Now we've got a game that will be released in about two weeks here at the Institutes of Discovery. That's probably our highest end game that we've ever made. There's something about Henry Mall. There, there's games all over campus already. Um, but the, the big new exciting news is that Engage is coming alongside of this project again, and we're going to be doing a large adaptation grant where any faculty that's here at UW that's involved in a timetable course that's interested in using ARIS, we're going to be able to provide kind of one-on-one support and help think through some of the educational use and ramifications of this thing. So that call for proposals is going to be coming out in just a few months. So keep on checking out at engage.doit.wist.edu because we're going to be looking for volunteers that want to continue this experimentation with us. Well, David, thank you very much for talking to us today. And coming in up next, we have Jim Matthews, who uh, works with the Ares Research Group. Jim, can you give us a little bit of an introduction? Uh, my name is Jim Matthews. Um, I guess in terms of Eris, I'm associated here um, through the Games Learning Society Research Group. Um, and I also work with um, the Eris Research Group, particularly trying to connect youth and uh, both in and out of school programs with Eris and bringing them into the fold for both being designers of Eris and also giving feedback on how Eris might be used in non-university settings as well. So what kind of games are you seeing the, the more youth... Uh uh, oriented uh, groups creating here? Well, I think it, it sort of depends on the angle that you're coming into in terms of wanting to um, work with youth designing things. Um, so in some contexts, it's the idea of just really focusing on design and game design and thinking about game theory, in which case content is really not important. So of course you see classic things like a lot of zombie type stuff, epic adventures involving dragons and you know slaying things, etc. A lot of humorous stuff, a lot of remixing of popular culture. So you start seeing characters 
characters that appear in, in their games like Homer Simpson and that type of stuff. Um, so that's sort of one sort of path. Not that it's so clear cut between the two. And the second path is um, groups that are trying to actually design stuff that is more contra- content-centric. So maybe, for example, they want to design something about their local watershed or they want to design a historical tour of a neighborhood or their community in some way. And in which case, I think that, that you can combine those two. But that tends to be the big, the big difference is that if you're focusing on game design, then there's a lot more flexibility with the content looks like and a heck of a lot more creativity and sort of fun play space. Um, there's a lot of, on the other side, is when they're trying to do content-centric stuff, it's still interesting for sure, um, but it, it tends to be mostly around social issues, ecological issues, cultural issues. So the idea is that these kids can can make the games and then they can just share them with uh, other students their age or, or pretty much anyone in the community. Is, is that right? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the really nice things about the Ares Project to, to, is that, well, I think one of the things, to zoom out a little bit, I think one of the really nice things about the Ares Project is that it is actually, as an open source project, is also open to letting anybody participate, right? So you can be somebody who's a middle school student or somebody who is on the faculty here at UW or is a computer programmer and they're all sitting in the same room kind of working right now and as a matter of fact are actually helping each other out um, as they sit across the table giving feedback, learning from each other, etc. So the idea is that a middle school student, a middle school classroom, an after school program could see a specific need and hop onto the authoring tool, so getting onto the ARIS editor without, having, without needing to know anything about programming and actually build stuff that they can play within their classroom, within their school, within their community or neighborhood. Can you describe a little bit about the Eris editor itself and kind of kind of how it works and, you know, you said no programming was required, so how, how do people make games inside of the editor? So one thing that Eris is really a, a platform that has two components to it. One is the client or the program that runs on your mobile device, and then the other side is an authoring tool, which is an online a browser-based program that allows you to actually put things together. So if I was going to, as an example, make a, um, a simple tour, what I can do is gather all of the video and all of the photographs and all of the audio that I want. I can write up all that text. And there's an editor that's drop and drag that allows me pretty much the same way you when you work with Google Maps to be able to drop stuff and put it in location. Um, and then that, whatever I put into that authoring tool, I can then take my mobile device and, and play or engage with that content via the mobile device. Um, there no, You don't need any program background. Um, it does help to have media design background. It helps to be thinking about game theory and what makes a good game, what makes good user experiences and all that type of stuff. So I think in that sense, Eris is a really good tool for engaging young people in these conversations about design. So I guess out of all of the games that you've seen so far that have been developed for Eris, what would you say is either the most unique or, or your favorite? Well, I think the one that these guys recently, the Eris, the Engage crew, recently developed for Widmere is really one that that shows off Eris at its best in the sense of um, Eris as a a prototyping tool. So they played around with a whole bunch of new stuff like photo recognition, using QR codes, uh, using panoramic images, um, using Arduino boards, and the idea that you can hook content from the game and actions in the game to a a physical, um, like a video screen as an example. So that was one I would definitely recommend as being on the high end and a really engaging example. Um, But what I think is most exciting about 
about Eris, though, is that you can be someone who's a programmer and push it to certain boundaries, but you could be somebody who's never programmed anything at all, and you can hop on the Eris editor, and within a very short workshop, or if you're more self-motivated, you can learn it on your own as well. And so I think that's what's really nice about it, is it allows multiple entry points for somebody who's a beginner to somebody who really has high-end sort of um, programming and or past experience with design can engage with it in, at their own sort of level as well. So I think that's a really unique um, feature of, of Eris as a platform. Thank you very much for talking with us today. All right, and we're here uh, with some of the, uh, the amateur game designers. I guess we could call you uh, amateur game designers. Is that right? Uh, what, what, and could you tell me your guys' names? Uh, I'm Will. I'm Joe. And, uh, and where are you from? Uh, well, Joe and I are from New Glarus. And, uh, and how old are you guys? I'm 13. I'm 15. Can you tell me a little bit about, uh, about the game that you're making in Eris? Um, it's called Hide and Seek in the Wid. Um, basically, the plot is that you and some friends decide to play Hide and Seek, and you have to go around finding the people, finding the codes to find the people, basically. And tell me about a little bit about the, uh, the the process of designing it inside of Eris. I mean, like, uh, was it easy? Was it hard? What exactly are you using? Are you using, like, QR codes? Are you using location data? What exactly are you doing? Um, it was pretty easy once we figured it out. It took a little while to really understand it, but now it's much easier to do. And, yeah, we're using QR codes mostly. Some of it's location-based, but it's kind of hard inside the building to actually make it work. And so how, how did you get involved in the project? Uh, well, we came here when Science Fest was going on, and we came out and tested a couple of the games that they had. And then we were asking about game designing, because we're pretty interested in game designing and everything. And so it just came up that they were having this design jam, so we jumped on the opportunity. Do you think Eris is a platform that, uh, that anybody could pick up, or is, is there some learning curve to it, or...? There's not a whole lot. I mean, of course, you got to know a little bit about what you're doing. But other than that, it's pretty self-explanatory and pretty easy to use. Cool. Thanks, guys, for uh, talking with us today. All right. We've moved over to another group here, and uh, and we're talking more about some more games that are being designed on Eris. Uh, can you tell... Uh, well, first off, let's uh, have you tell us your names. Tamara. I'm Zach. I'm Eric Powers. What brought you to the uh, Game Jam convention today? Um, the college I work for, College of Menominee Nation, is building a new technology technology center, and I was hired as the director, and so just learning some how to create some learning games that we can use there. And what kind of what kind of games or what kind of uh, scenarios popped to mind when you saw Eris and that kind of and and then technology behind it? A lot of possibilities. <laughs> um, learning about the Menominee Indian culture can add in there. Learning about some of the college things. Um, I can use it for developing some social skills training. Gosh, there's just about everything. So that's cool. And so you think? Uh, do you think the uh, the students uh, of your college will will jump on this kind of a technology and, and make their own games? Do you think it's going to be more faculty? What do you What do you think? Well, actually, I was already thinking. We're talking about creating a technology club and thinking about how I can do a workshop that they can learn Eris and create their own games. Thanks very much for talking with us. Okay, so we've moved over here to another participant, and you have traveled quite a ways uh, to be here today. Yeah, I came from Lawrence, Kansas. I'm a doctoral candidate at the University of Kansas. And what was your name? Dana Atwood-Blaine. 
Cool. And and so, what what drew you to the Eris Game Jam today? Well, I discovered Eris back in August. I was looking for a way to create a location-based game, and so I've been kind of frequenting the Eris website, and when I saw they were having a design jam, I decided I should come learn from the experts. So you came all the way here to talk to the people in charge, huh? Yes, I did. So tell us about the game that you're making. Well, the game that the team here is making um, is called Secrets of the Fountain, and what's interesting about it is that we we the context is that the engineering fountain is somebody's taken some parts or some things and spread them around campus and so the object is for the player to go and collect those and bring them back to the repair guy to fix the fountain um, but really what we're trying to do is get people to uh, experience kind of hidden gems on campus like secret little places that they might not otherwise have ever found that's really cool. So um, what kind of other uh, possibilities are you seeing with Eris for, you know, for other games or, or, or other educational opportunities uh, that maybe weren't there before? Well, what I think is really interesting about Eris is that it's something that people who aren't programmers can use to make location-based games. So, for instance, I'm trying to figure out what I'm doing for my dissertation, and I'm in science education. So I'm thinking about using Eris as something that would be used at the Kansas City Zoo. So for kids to go through the zoo and stop at animal exhibits and make some observations and be playing this game throughout the zoo um, that would actually teach them science and conservation concepts. Okay, we moved over to another um, another game here and another couple people that are working on it. Um, and uh, what's your name? Uh, my name's Ian Benton. And what group are you with here on campus? Well, I'm a librarian. I work at College Library, and I'm working with a group of people, other librarians, on a game called Academy Scout. And what's the game about? Well, the game... <laughs> there's there's two things that the game is about. Uh, the thing that the thing that the game is about from the player perspective is um, you're assuming the role of a forward scout for the Pan Galactic Academy, which is creating a department of Terran studies, and they've determined that the best way to do that is by kidnapping academics from Earth and forcing them to work as uh, you know it's it's effectively academic slavery, so very much like the normal tenure process. That sounds awesome. Um, and then our goal from this as instructors, though, is that we're trying to teach them to do something called cited reference searching using one of the library databases. And um, and how has Eris helped you uh, uh, kind of put this together? How's, tell us a little bit about the editor and the game design process, that kind of thing. Sure. Um, the, the group of people who are working on this, we all got together and did uh, a previous game jam where we were doing some rapid prototyping and we kept failing. And I think that's that's a really nice thing is like you do these things and you do it small and you fail and that's cool because you learn things when you fail. And I think that the biggest thing that we got out of our failures was the importance of doing development sprints and breaking down goals and thinking about how those can be attained and achieved. And so when we came away from our, our kind of crash course in development thinking, um, we wanted to put that to work and do a proof of concept for the library world that this could actually be used to... Um, to do some instruction. And we had a bunch of stated outcomes, but we wanted to be able to put this in front of librarians and say, here is how you can come up with a game that will teach this specific learning outcome. And here are the benefits to us, and here are the benefits to the students. Um, so it, it, there's kind of a laundry list of things that we were trying to accomplish with it. But a lot of it was just this idea that we wanted to do proof of concept. 
And would you say that the uh, you know the game that you're making um, like achieves the goals that you're looking at? Do you think it's something that uh, anybody could program or anybody could do? And and do you think it'll be uh, like you know these type of games will be widely used on campus? Well, the the hope is that it will. Honestly, um, this is all a platform like Aris, even though it's been around for a while, is kind of I, w- I won't say it's in its infancy, but it's it's kind of a young teenager, right? Um, and so we we want this to be used, but whenever you use something with students, especially the way we're thinking of it, because we want people to be able to play this asynchronously, like not as a whole class, not as a unit, not with a librarian supervising them. That's one of the strengths that we see, is that this can be an individualized learning experience that somebody can engage in when they, at the exact point in their learning that they need to learn how to do cited reference searching. And so with that in mind, one of the barriers is they need to know that they have to download Eris and they need to be familiar enough with the platform to find the game and they need to do all of these things. And so we're, we are trying to accommodate that, you know, like you build that into the play is teaching people how to play the game through the play of the game. So I guess uh, one of the um, barriers that at least I'm thinking of when I think of an educational game is like, you know, there's boring educational games and there's fun educational games. How do you how do you make sure that your educational game is also still a game and still fun? That was another one of our, our articulated things. Like, we did not want to make a game that was not actually a game. Um, and it's tough. It's really tough to do that. Um, because you have to think in terms of what is the hook for the player? Like I, I mentioned before that there's kind of difference. Like our objective as teachers designing a game is different from the objective that we're articulating to the player and we're tricking them into learning things along the way. So that's one of the things that we're doing is we're not being overt about what we want you to learn. Uh, the other thing is we're trying to keep it really funny. The game itself doesn't have a lot of choices. It's it's very ungame like. It's it's the first part of it is a tutorial. The real meat of it is a tutorial, but we try and keep this entertaining and keep you moving by really writing it Invader Zim style. You are you are the uh, the forward scout from this pangalactic academy, but you have effectively no social skills, and you're dealing with academics who, in some cases, in our writing anyways, don't have the best social skills either. And so the the whole idea for us is to keep it light and keep it funny and keep the tasks short so that you don't get bogged down in the task, but that you get the reward of comedic writing. And then... Um, an envisioned second part of the game that becomes more actually game-like involves uh, an abduction mechanic where you have either the option to um, perform the academic's task, which would be a search, which is kind of our stated learning objective, or if you have enough XP built up, if you have enough rewards built up in the game, you can ignore their task and just capture them, like cash in your XP to straight up abduct them, and then you would get cutscenes like the ether-soaked rag and dragging them off in a burlap sack to the mothership, stuff like that. This definitely sounds like a game that I, I think I'd like to play, so thanks for, thanks for talking with us. Yeah, sure thing. And up next, we're talking to John Martin from Academic Technology. Uh, John, what would you say is the coolest thing about Eris for you? So, yeah, the the enjoyable thing about Eris, or the thing that I think is really cool about Eris is it started here at UW-Madison, and UW-Madison is still our primary audience. So my job at Academic Technology is to help faculty figure out how to use technology that are appropriate for their classes. And we would love to have um, students go out and create um, 
games to identify mushrooms. We'd love to have these crowdsourced um, how to deal with invasive species. Let's go map out all of the invasive species on campus and have people take them out. Students can do this. Students can do cultural tours of South Park Street. They can do cultural tours of anywhere in the state. Um, the the libraries, the Wisconsin Historical uh, Online, WHO, who.org, they've got all kinds of Wisconsin primary documents that they're begging to, you know, how do we let people use them? Ares would be a great way of, of making a game all over the state. And, you know, that's that's what we want to do. That's, that's part of the Wisconsin idea, right? It's getting the learning outside of the four walls of the classroom and into the communities out throughout the state. And where can people go if they have an idea for a great game and, and, and they don't know they don't know what to do next? Boy, talk to Academic Technology. You just email us and we'll we'd love to talk with you. Academic Tech at do it that with do you? That's the one. And uh, do you guys have a website? We do, erisgames.org. Um, is a great place to go and you can connect with us and that's whether you're on the university or not on the university. Everything that we do outside of the university, in many ways it feeds back to the development of the app for the university. So we're doing this, I feel really good about the fact that we're working with community partners, putting on jams like this where we have folks coming up from Kansas because what what Dana said and, you know, and what we learned from Dana helps us develop the game farther in ways that will help... Um, that, that will help. That will benefit the UW community as well. Well, Ty, thanks for that interesting report. Uh, Eris definitely seems like a game platform that I would want to design something for. And uh, looks like our hour is just about up here. But before we go, we got a bunch of people to thank. Uh, special thanks go out to our management team at the Division of Information Technology: Perry Brunelli, Ryan Hansen, Edward Hoover, Brian Kishner, Ty Leto, Neil Mack. Mark Nessel, Brian Rust, and Bill Zimmerman. The Director of User Services is Kathy O'Brien. Dewitt's Chief Operating Officer is John Krogman, and our CIO and Vice Provost for Information Technology is Bruce Moss. Today's broadcast was produced by Ty Christian, Sandy Cyberlick, and Adam Wiesenfarth. Our associate producers are Laura Grady, Teresa Saldana, and Nathan Cohen, with assistance from Dan Collins.